God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the brilliant and thoughtful Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? Well, I'm doing fine, but I'm feeling like uh, honored because you used two adjectives I today two this time. as opposed to one. So That's this right. will be like a special day. It is a special day. There's a couple of reasons this is such a special day. First, this is the season finale of season one of Family Discussion, which I am very excited about. We have officially done a full season, Lisa. Well done. Yes, we yes we have. Yes, we have. And I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, I'm just glad we didn't run out of things to talk about. I'll be honest. That's just, I'm glad we're still going. Um, <laughs> but there's another reason I'm very excited. And that is we are ending the season uh, with a very special guest in an interview uh, where we last week talked about the importance of the local church. This week, we're going to be talking about the importance of the global church and how we can learn from the global church, why we need to be involved in the global church. And to help us with this conversation, we are joined, Lisa, by one of your good friends. So why don't you introduce her and dive in? Drum roll, please. Um, And I am very pleased to announce the extraordinary and smart and, and capable and just all that person of Karen Ellis. Uh, man, I'm coming back here. <laughs> I mean, uh, what a build up. No you, pressure, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, and you got more adjectives than I did. Trying to one up me. I see. Okay. All right. I appreciate I'm, do, I'm doing my best. That's really sweet. Really sweet introduction. Well, welcome. We are so excited to have you on our show today. Thank um, you. And, you know, and to hear what you have to say about the global church. I know this is your baby. Mm. And when, you know, when we talked about how we wanted the season to end, we thought, you know, we definitely do need to look broader than the American church. And what better person to have on than Karen Ellis, who has done so much work with uh, the international church, specifically the persecuted church. Mm-hmm. And now in your capacity as director for the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity, at Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, We are anxious to hear more about that and more about what you would have to say about the global church. Well, yeah, it's funny you say it's my baby. It's actually God's baby. I'll just put that out there first. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, it's his bride. Um, And I'm, I'm, you know, the more I learn, the more I realize I'm really not an expert expert at anything. Um, the more I travel, um, the more I hang out with people who've actually walked in the valley of the shadow of death and learn to fear no evil, I really learned that I'm not an expert on the persecuted church. Um, I'm not an expert on global missions. Um, even though I study those things and I, I walk with those folks, um, I, I really feel like I'm just a person who really, really loves the church. And I love to like so many other people. And I love the church and I love to see how God is moving. I love to Mm. see him keeping his promise that he will keep a people set apart to himself. Um, I love tracing the line of folks who lived closer to that story, as closely to that story as they possibly could. 
um, what I call the story of the people of God, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm happy to be one in the number to be, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm happy to be on with you guys tonight. Well, we're excited that you're here and, and um, we're really excited about the work that's being done now out of RTS. Uh, Lisa just mentioned that the, uh, the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity, and you were announced as the director of this center at RTS earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've been doing this work for a little while, but there's some exciting things happening. And with this center, um, you've been doing some travel. There have been some changes. There's some stuff going on. And so tell us a little bit. You, you just... Uh, came back from Rwanda. Mm-hmm. When this episode releases, um, the South Africa trip that you're going on will be mm-hmm. either you'll be in the center of it or it'll be over. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us what's going on with the center. Why um, this work? Why RTS? Give us a little bit of that story. Right. So this all the the concept of this center. Uh, which, you know, our aim is to focus on exactly what I just said, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're aiming to focus on how God has moved, is moving, and has promised to move through his people among the nations. And uh, that includes the local and the global. And the center really got born in our house. Um, about when my husband and I first got married almost 10 years ago, people just started filtering through, um, coming to figure out how they could take uh, the Bible, what they were reading in the Bible, and apply it in their local contexts. And uh, with my husband's work with um, cultural studies, um, we we had one particular group of people coming through, like a lot of people from the margins in America. And then with my studies uh, with the global church, we would host uh, occasionally. We would host um, an underground leader. And sometimes they would intersect and we would all end up at the same table together. And they realized that they had a lot in common and that they were actually encouraging each other and feeding off of each other. And there was this, there's always been this local and global connection. And so my husband and I were like, man, you know, the people started like, it would get to the point where, you know, we conference a lot and we travel a lot, but we would get home and people would be waiting for us when we got home. <laughs> like we couldn't keep sheets on the bed, you know, and this like, wow. and so then people started sending their um, people, like organizations started sending their people, like paying for their people to come. And I was like, okay, we need to formalize this some kind of way. And um, so we prayed and prayed and prayed for years. and. Um, the people kept coming, but no formal um, sort of uh, offer came to make this into something where people could actually get credit at their institutions or where they could get some sort of certificate of recognition beyond something that we printed off on our printer that looked really nice in a great font, but really didn't, you know, what did it mean ultimately? Uh, and so uh, about four or five years in, Guy Richard, the president of uh, RTS Atlanta, Uh, took us to lunch. And he said, I have this vision. And the vision that he laid out was what was happening in our house. Now, he didn't know. He didn't know that. And so my husband and I said, okay, (laughs) what's up here? Is this the, is this the door? And um, Guy's heart for uh, having the campus, the seminary campus, have a relationship with the community, a strong relationship with the community, um, maximize the potential that God had placed in Atlanta by bringing the nations there, um, and also connecting the local and the global, the local um, churches and ministry leaders and even lay people, um, just how do we equip them to handle this connection between the local and the global? And that's how the center was born. And then it was formalized in January. And um, then uh, we had MTW, um, uh, Reverend Victor Naka, who's a Zimbabwean in, uh, living in Cape Town. He's the director for Sub-Saharan, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa at Mission to the World. He called us and he said, what's this center I hear about? And I said, oh, well, you know, we're figuring things out as we go along. And this is the vision. Um, another aspect to the center is we are focusing on Christianity as its own unique, distinct cultural minority throughout history and around the world. Wow, that's um, really interesting. Yeah, we don't know anybody else is doing it. If anybody else is doing that, hit us up. Maybe we can, you know, wonder twin powers activate and join forces or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as far as we know, we're the only people focusing on Christianity as its own unique, distinct cultural minority that includes all the nations. So he said, wow, he said, um, 
what do you, you know, you want to come to Cape Town and, and talk about how this center developed. And so my husband and I said, yeah, so that's the trip that we're about to go on. Um, but probably when this, when this, when this airs, we'll be hanging out with the folks in Cape Town, asking them, um, who are the theologians among you and what does, what is God doing? How is God perpetuating the story of his people where you are? And, um, perhaps more doors. And of course, what they're going to do will look very different from what we're doing uh, because they have their own cultural context and their own, uh, but God is still doing the work of keeping a people set apart to himself. So we've made a couple of hallmarks. Um, One of the hallmarks is persistent kingdom prayer. We're offering a course on prayer in January. Um, It's being taught by someone who's written a few books about uh, kingdom prayer. His name is John Smed. And he has uh, he goes around the world um, teaching these principles of kingdom prayer. Um, he said that he had yet to run into a seminary that offered an actual course, a practical course on prayer, where you mm-hmm. actually spend class time praying. Mm-hmm. And so Guy Richard and I, we were taking our team through his principles, and I said, let's change that. And so uh, we have this course coming up in January and, you know, another uh, core uh, cornerstone of our, uh, our uh, center is uh, discipleship. We want to work with people who are interested in primarily raising up disciples and making more people who want to be, want to walk closely to the story of the people of God. So a lot of great stuff going on. We're about to rename the center. Yes, I was, you know what, I was just about to ask that, you know, and we're, we're sitting here on pins and needles. Um, so tell us about this renaming and tell us why the renaming is important. Listen, I didn't name the center the first time. It okay. is descriptive, but nobody wants to say Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity five times in a sentence. <laughs> you can acronym it. We like acronyms. <laughs> well, we, try, we went there. We tried that. But then CSBE and people are like, what does it stand for? And then you got to go back to Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity, right? So, so we, ch- we, um, we, we, we talked with RTS Communications Department and we said, how can we rename this? Because, you know, RTS, one of the other RTS campuses has the Padilla Center. Uh, which focuses on, you know, they study different works, so just different historical works, and they have they have their own. So there's all these little centers kind of developing, educational centers developing uh, around theological education. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the drawing board, and we found one couple that really kind of captured all of the elements that we were hoping to um, to reflect. And it was a name, the the couple is named the Edmistons, Alonzo and Althea Edmiston. And so we will be the Edmiston Center. Um, And they were famous for, (laughs) famous, I guess, in in where they worked. Um, They're actually a PCUS missionary couple. Hmm. Former slaves. Well, they're the children of slaves. So this is one generation after Reconstruction. And she went to Fisk University. So they're obviously the African-American couple. And uh, she went to Fisk from ninth grade to college and um, uh, felt called to Congo. So from Alabama, post-Reconstruction, mm-hmm. to, to Congo, free Congo, mm-hmm. and then meets her husband there. This is 1902 and 1904. She meets her husband there, who's also African-American, son of sharecroppers. And they uh, did some incredible work for about 30 or 40 years in Congo, okay. uh, empowering people, sharing the gospel. They translated the Bible into uh, one of the indigenous languages there and um, just left an incredible legacy um, as a part of a larger, one of the first African-American mission teams. But there you see, there's, that, there's the minority church, um, you know, the, uh, the the church as its own distinct, unique minority, but there are minorities within that minority. And here they are, you know, walking closely to the story of the people of God, connecting the local and the global. They delivered a lot. They purchased a lot of uh, orphans out of Mm -hmm. the Arab slave trade, their parents having just been slaves themselves in America. Wow. So we went, I know, right? It's a crazy story. Wow. There's, there's a book. Uh, where's my book? Oh, I have to show you my book. Um, there's a biography written about them. And uh, there's one that's about to be, that's about to come up. It's more detailed. Um, and, um, oh, Life for the Congo. 
the story of Althea Brown Edmiston. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a story, it's a, the story that's about to be produced is a, a la- larger story of the two of them, but we had to get permission from the family to use their name and likeness. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful. It was like being in the middle of their family reunion on a Zoom call with the Brady Bunch. You know, <laughs> did you, you know, hear the song too? <laughs> listen, it was great. And we, they were like, okay, this is great grandma. This is grandma. This is so-and-so. This is the cousin. And they were, they've been wonderful um, in uh, releasing the name and the likeness of the couple mm-hmm. to us. And then uh, RTS, of course, their board had to approve. And we've got approval now to change it to the Edmiston Center. Yeah. For the study of the Bible and, and ethnicity, but and you know, you know, and, and, and you know what I think is really cool about that is that pe- for people unfamiliar with their name, right, right. So before, so right now, you're having to give this this mouthful of words, right. you know, right. about what the center is. But when people ask you, well, who is that, and then you have the opportunity to to tell, and not only that. It's you get an opportunity to tell about a representative from an underrepresented group because we really don't hear a lot about African-American missionaries, of which there were many Mm -hmm. um, going over to, you know, going over overseas Mm -hmm. um, to to do missions. And there are Um, so many. There are so many stories um, that have yet to be told. And, you know, we're. There's, uh, I think, uh, Walter Strickland is working on a piece about the theology, those who had, I'm really excited about that. Yes, yes, Uh, I just heard about that today. Yeah, and we've been, my husband and I have been mining um, missions uh, from the subdominant cultural perspective, and it's, you know, it's really exciting to go and reclaim these stories and add them to the uh, the uh, the the curriculum that already exists at RTS Atlanta. It just, it feels like going back and, and, you know, going back and reclaiming what's been lost. I tell you, another interesting thing about this couple is they were actually PCUS, which mm-hmm. was the PCA. Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, the PCA has only been in existence in 73. Right. So, okay. um, you so. know, the PC, it was, yeah, so. Yeah, and we have all kinds of records that, you know, they're held um, in different places. Some of them are at Emory. Some of them are at the PCUSA because they hold all the papers for the Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, all the mission work done in the Congo, but um, yeah, so it's it's um, it's fit it's fitting, and uh, we're excited about the name change and the rebrand that will happen in January and the relaunch. And uh, we actually have we gave away an award to an African. Uh, they just happened to be African American mission couple um, at the beginning of the year. They came and spoke um, at our Grimke lecture series. Um, and uh, we have all kinds of people. We have people from the nations come through for the Grimke lectures, um, doing focusing on the connection between the local and the global. And um, this couple is uh, Kim and Byron Johnson, who've been doing mission work and recruiting mission work and discipling people on HBCU campuses through uh, Christian outreach for decades. Mm-hmm. And so we gave them an award that I think we're going to probably do every year. But now that we have the Edmiston Center, we're going to call them the Eddies. they received received the very first eddie award and um it's a recognition for someone who is doing discipleship and connecting and 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 strongly emphasizing the local the connection between the local and the global because it's important um it informs who we are it informs um you know it keeps us out of that kind of myopic americentric christianity um it kind of busts up our categories, uh, even the categories. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm confessional, but sometimes mm-hmm. in the in the in the underground church, God does stuff that I don't have categories for, mm-hmm. and that's good for me to see. Yes. You know, it's good for me to recognize that I can't I can't tell God what He's going to do and how He's going to do it. You know, right. right. And and one of the things that I really I did I did like about the current name. Um, even though it's a mouthful, is the um, when you talk about the Bible and ethnicity, um, we talk about ethnicity. I, say, I think sometimes it gets lost in a, um, in the current discourse mm-hmm. on race. Yeah. Whereas ethnicity is related to people from around the world. 
You right. know, and so when you hear ethnicity, it should remind us mm-hmm. that God is the God of all nations. That's right. And he is building a church. Come on now. Of every tribe, tongue, mm-hmm. and nation. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's that's that's our guiding, you know, we that's yes. our Revelation seven and nine is our guide. If any ideology or theology that that gets floated by me doesn't take me to doesn't take me successfully to Revelation seven nine because that's that's the end of the story and the beginning of the next chapter. If it doesn't take yes. me, I got a problem with it. You know, I have to point out that well, this maybe do some good things, but it's insufficient to do the job. Um, yes, which is show that God's going to keep His promise that He made in Genesis that He was going to that He created a people for Himself. Himself. So, so I wonder if you could actually teach us a little bit, um, as if you haven't already. I didn't even know that the Ellisons were, were a family. This is incredible. Um, teach us, though, a little bit about, you know, with this American-centric way of thinking about the faith, what is it that we have missed? What are some of the things about the faith that um, when we are so America-focused mm. that we, we lose sight of? What are some of the emphases that uh, maybe shouldn't be emphases? What are some of the things that we are ignoring that we should emphasize more? You know, wh- walk us yeah, this. no, that's good. I, I, you know, I can just, I can share with you what I've read and who I've read and what I've observed. What's, what's peculiar to us in the American experiment is, is not so unusual because you see Judah and Israel struggle with the same thing. And it's, heavily investing in politics and culture in a lot of ways as the the way for advancing the kingdom and we see all over not just the bible not just the old testament we see all especially in the new testament i mean you know i could go in a Voslav havel direction and say it's the power of the powerless power of powerlessness i could go in a, a hauerwas direction and say it's you know it's that we're supposed to reflect and other cultural, other political reality. It's not that we're not engaged in politics and culture because, you know, we're in the world, but not of it. But it's that in the process of that, we're supposed to be reflecting a politics and a culture that's based on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, not necessarily on temporal things. And that's not to say, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that temporal things aren't important. I'm not saying that culture, ethnicity, obviously ethnicity is important, um, you know, the, that um, the, the political decisions that affect how we live our lives, those are, those are things we should be engaged in, but we approach them in a different way, um, in a way that doesn't look like the rest of the world. Even in the way we solve um, cultural and social problems, you know, I don't know, have you you guys seen this movie called Mully? You gotta oh, go. You told me about you it. You gotta watch this movie. Mully. Okay. Yeah. So Mully, um, and, and, and there are a lot of Mullies around. Mully is this one person in, in Kenya, in Nairobi. Uh, the story is a rags to riches to rags to heavenly riches story. And it's, it's a crazy story. Um, but what the question that he asks and allows God to answer is when you have a system that's so broken and so dependent on other systems to stay broken that it's almost impossible to untangle it. What do you do? Well, you set up an alternative system alongside it Mm. that reflects kingdom principles and confounds and indicts the other system. Wow. And so what he does is he does that with the, um, the um, Kibera, um, the problem of orphans, the orphan, orphan mortality. Um, in uh, in Kibera slum, and you got to watch the movie. But it's it's a great example, and people are doing this around the country in the United States as well. Of uh, we just don't hear about them; they don't get the press. But you know, people commandeering um, vacant lots in cities to turn them into sustainable farms to feed the people in the community, and then using discipleship principles to disciple the people that are coming to work the farm. And, you know, it's you know, like Bonton Farms in Dallas, or, you know, we study all of these. I teach a course on, um, on uh, what is my course? Theology and Human Rights. And we study some of these um, alternative witnesses that people have done around the world where they're they're just creatively and strategically 
um, bringing the gospel to bear in a different kind of way than the systems, the other systems that don't that won't that don't promote unity. They won't take us to necessarily to Revelation seven nine, but they actually intrude Revelation seven nine mm-hmm. in a genuine, honest, redemptive, life giving way for everybody. Everybody. That's the thing is people who enter into this system. The, the point is everybody flourishes, everybody wins. And in some cases, in some of the um, places where I, I, I have my deepest relationships, everybody dies. And that's also, um, that's also a reality. But yeah, so anyways, you know, uh, gosh, how did we get here? You asked me about, um, what did you ask me about, girl? No, just, just, <laughs> that was his question. <laughs> what you ask me about? That's right. Me no, about? I mean, this is, the, these are the oh, things. Oh, yeah, Americentric Christian yeah. America. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but I think a lot of what you're talking about is, um, is missing a, a kingdom right. mentality, you know, right. we're broken into our political parties or mm-hmm. our theological camps mm-hmm. um, and not really considering um, what, what the kingdom mentality and the kingdom ethic looks like yeah. when it, when it does um, look very different than what the world is doing. And by looking different, it does indict. That's the prophetic mm-hmm. dimension of a kingdom right. ethic. Right. Right. And, um, I, I think one of the things that we are scared to do, is really push a kingdom ethic or or push kingdom principles and a way of living out the kingdom out of fear that there's going to be a lot of pushback and a lot of and pers- there will be that's yeah. the thing um but I just came from okay so I'll give you a few organizations that I'm working with we just need more <laughs> we need we need hundreds of organizations like these I just came back from from Rwanda watching some of this in action watching people create economic opportunities ex nihilo and i mean from nothing um and god you know but and it's not just them becoming you know creating sustainable lives for themselves it's about the relationships that get mended in the process we're talking about rwanda yeah yeah they lost everything and a lot of people, a million plus people, started over 25 years ago. And hope the groups like Hope International, and there are a lot of people doing, you know, wealth management, wealth, um, wealth uh, creation, um, microfinancing. But folks like Hope, using Chalmers Center principles, which is, um, you know, also about poverty alleviation, um, you know, they're focusing on the whole person. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're focusing on restoring on the power of the gospel not just to guide people to flourishing, but guide relationships to flourishing. Um, I think one of the best books that's come out recently is from um, a theologian named Kelly Capick and uh, Mm -hmm. Brian Fickert uh, called Becoming Whole. And um, it really decenters the concept of the American dream from human flourishing and centers what does Christ mean when he says have life and have it more abundantly. Is it all about the accumulation of stuff? Is it all about the accumulation of political power? Is it about the accumulation of of cultural capital? Or is it about something entirely different? And um, so... Change, right? I mean, this is one of the things... one of, one of the great joys of my short time in ministry is we had um, a survivor of the Rwanda genocide, Denise Uimana, come to our church and speak. She's written a book called From Red Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, a, it's a powerful story. And she shared her story of survival. But the work that she's done since in reconciliation, um, just kind of sitting and listening to her and learning from her, they're mm-hmm. asking fundamentally different questions than we ask here in the United States. It's true. And it's, it really it's led true. them to be able to um, build relationships and find healing and growing healing mm-hmm. that seems absolutely uh, beyond. Well, it's not rational. It's just not rational. It's supernatural. Yeah. What um, what the the women in Rwanda and the the Christian Church in Rwanda has been able to do. Yeah. To these wounds. I'm yeah. seeing. I'm seeing it though here on various margins in various margin communities. I'm seeing it happen to a certain extent in rural Appalachia. <laughs> I'm seeing it happen. There's a, there's, oh, listen, my friend Alton Hardy, who's pastoring a, um, a church in Fairfield, Alabama, 
there's nothing going on in Fairfield. <laughs> but let me tell you what God is doing there. Mm-hmm. He said, he just texted me yesterday and he said, tell them revi- revival is happening in Fairfield. Amen. And, you know, and it's, it's these places that are so out of the public eye where God is moving powerfully. He's restoring. They're stopping services. They're stopping Sunday service so that two people who fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, they decide, I think we should, I'm going to marry my baby mama. And they're like, let's, let's have a wedding. Let's get you married. You know what I mean? They stop service for a baptism. They stop. Ser- I mean, there's, there's a, they're, they're seeing um, ethnic reconciliation. They're seeing, they're just seeing like a lot of the same things that I see happening in Iran. This is what, these were the conversations that got me excited around the table was when I could sit across the table with a guy from Egypt talking about these house churches that were being planted by elderly, illiterate women, the foolish things of the world, confounding the wise. Now they're raising up Timothy's, planting 14,000 house churches, 14,000 house churches. (laughs) And they're sitting across from a guy who's in the hood in a gutted out city. And he's like, yeah, me too. I'm seeing crazy stuff too. And I'm like, y'all need to, y'all need to stay in touch with each other. You know? Uh, because we have things that we can learn from each other. Yeah. Um, this is this is the beauty of the body. You know, oftentimes I'm asked, why do we need the need the local church? Why do we need the global church? You know, why do we need to be involved? And I'm like, because a, it's a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's all that beautiful body language in the scripture. It's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. We are we we can pretend like we're not connected. And we can make all kinds of excuses not to be connected, but the reality is we are connected. So why? What can we gain from that? We can learn from each other. We can, um, you know, it's not just, a, we can hear what God is doing. And we have a woman coming to speak um, on, um, on, I think, uh, November 14th at, um, at, the, she's one of our, she's our last Grimke speaker. She's an RTS grad. She's been sitting at RTS for four years, working on her theological degree. And she does Christian education in Northern Nigeria. She has tangled firsthand with Boko Haram. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're like this gem sitting in our, in our midst. Right. I was like, well, you need to speak then. Mm-hmm. You, need to be our, you need to be one of our speakers. And so, you know, we're excited to come and hear her speak and hear what, what can I learn from doing early Christian education under hostility? What does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not to say that, you know, I, you know, I will have the experience of, you know, being under Boko Haram. I may never have that experience, but surely there's, there's something I can learn from this woman, this really humble woman who's been sitting probably right next to me. And I had no idea she was involved in this work. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me, and it seems to me too, you know, when you start talking about um, the global church and you start talking about ministry in these, you know, under, you know, the, these places that are under, under the radar, yeah, that yeah. are, they're underserved, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're dealing with um, some serious impact of the fall. Mm-hmm. There's no room to get into some of the petty discussions and petty debates that yeah. the American church, you know, mm-hmm. seems to be captured with. Yeah. It's about how do we love Jesus and yeah. how do we love others, right? The first and second commandment. No question. There's no room for, it, you know, any of the other nonsense yeah. that keeps Twitter us, you know, that keeps us <laughs> yeah. going at each other because well, the first order of business is like, we're, we need to be about our father's business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often think about it. Um, like, I don't know if you guys have ever read anything by Richard Wormbrand, but um, he's the, he was, he suffered first under the, um, under the Nazis as a Jew. Mm-hmm. And then he suffered in the communists as a Christian pastor and uh, as an ethnic Jew first. And then as, of course, he said that compared to the, um, compared to the, the communists, the Nazis were a picnic. 
um, in terms of how they uh, just destroyed and worked against um, humanity, but also in particular against the church. But he would often talk about the constant, sh- constantly shifting ground of um, not just ethics, but also, you know, how people were received in the body. Like the guy who, you know, you're the guy who's turning you in and, you know, calling you everything but a child of God and, you know, getting you in trouble with the government and finding you, you know, getting you incarcerated falls out of favor with the government the next week. And, you know, all of a sudden is in prison with you and, (laughs) and you realize that, well, he ain't going to get no mercy from anybody else except me. So, you know, might as well show it to him. Um, mm. Show him the love of God. Um, you know, it just, I don't know. I guess, I guess a lot of those, the conversations that we consider, um, you know, very maddening um, get reframed. They get reframed in a different sort of way. Um, you know, pressure makes you see each other's humanity a little bit more. At least you would hope mm. it would. Um, it doesn't for everybody. I can't say that that's for sure across the board, but you know, it, it, it often does. I'll put it that way. Um, and it, it changes your priorities, your priorities under hostility change, your priorities under pressure and under hostility change, um, from moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a much more gray world. Um, yeah. And, alle- and allegiances also, um, you know, pale in comparison to your primary allegiance to Christ. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I've, I'm sure that the people who, you know, are, you know, American Christians who are engaged in these kinds of debates and discussions and, you know, dehumanizing each other, they would say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing what Jesus would want me to do. And I'm like, mm, okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens when the heat is on. <laughs> a lot of a lot of stuff just changes when the heat is on. A lot yeah. of stuff changes. Well, one of the one of the debates that is happening right now around uh, global missions and global work mm-hmm. is um, there's there's been some pushback, particularly um, uh, talking about questions of hostility and oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the, the American church certainly does not have clean hands when it comes to this. And mm-hmm. so there is a lot of pushback saying, hey, um, why are Americans going into the world? And why are Americans doing mission work? Especially when you look at some of the history of colonialism, some of the history of the way that the gospel was spread, even in the United States among native and indigenous tribes, um, that there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of wickedness that came along with the way the gospel was presented and the way the gospel spread. So they're saying we, we ought to be receiving missionaries, but not sending. We, we have too much blood on our hands. We've done too much. Um, why, you know, what, what do you think of that kind of an objection to mm-hmm. the global, to global workers coming from the United States into the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, um, I would ask that I, I'm curious to know how much people know about um, the number of organizations that are actually involved in empowering local um, evangelists in other countries. Um, there is, especially in the in the underground. I know I can say for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that these are places that Western missionaries can't get into. So there are a lot of organizations that are are committed to um, empowering the local church on the ground um, and raising up indigenous leaders. Uh, sorry if the you know that's, I don't know what better word to use at this point, but raising up um, nationals. Um, within countries. And I think that there are a lot of smaller mission agencies that are um, engaged in that kind of work. There are a lot, there are a lot of mission agencies. You, the, the tiny ones, you would never have any idea. You're like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of smaller mission agencies. Um, and they're preparing Americans um, to go and be a support, not a leader, mm. not a planter, but to support work that's already ongoing. Um, I, I guess, you know, as, as American mission takes responsibility for um, their uh, sins of the past, which I think is very important work, um, I think also the question becomes, you know, the question isn't not who are we to send people 
wherever, you know, into the world, wherever we want. I would reframe the question to who is God to send people all around the world? Mm. Because I can't, how, how would you ever monitor who's sent by God and who isn't? Mm. And he can, you know, he's sovereign. I'm not going to say, um, uh, you know, if somebody feels called, they've done the hard work, they've learned the language, it's, I, I will admit, it's not the most cost-effective way. It's much more pragmatic to raise up somebody from in-country. But if God is, I can't limit God and say, well, you can't send somebody from here to there. You can't somebody, you can't, you can, God is going to do what he's going to do. Remember that song, um, he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, how he wants to, when he wants to, because he's sovereign. God is God. So God is going to continue to move through people and people are going to continue to judge the fruit as they should. Um, but there's going to be good fruit among that. And I have been in places where um, I have actually seen people in other countries say, we're grateful um, for, some, for the American missionaries that came to us. We're grateful for the European missionaries that came to us. Um, yes, we, they have been expelled since, but they did bring something. Um, so to, I think to completely if I can use the term whitewash, um, the entire American mission experience with the the brush that says it was all bad. I don't think that's intellectually honest. Mm. I think that there was, there was, um, that's not to say that there wasn't um, a lot of um, um, uh, exploitative Mm-hmm. Uh, behavior. A lot of abuses happen. A lot of abuses. Listen, I'm living. I'm I'm living proof. I bear the marks in my DNA. I mean, you know, I was, you know, my goodness gracious, you know. I mean, I know what it is for, you know, man to move people illegally around uh, for nefarious purposes. You know, I'm the product. I'm the daughter of. I'm the descendant of slaves. You know, I'll be the first to. I've I've researched horrible things that you know were done in the name of God, in the name of, um, you know, advancement of. Um, of, um, you know, you know, manifest destiny and European society. And that's, you know, and I, I get all of that. That's not to minimize those things, but to completely whitewash and say that it is not, there was nothing good that came out of those. I think you would have some pushback from uh, the global church. Mm. I think mm-hmm. you would have some pushback from the global church. And I've, I say that because I've heard it. I've heard it in India. I've heard it in uh, um, I've heard it on the continent, um, and um, and I think that just as much as we want to be able to develop and uh, encourage and stimulate theologians and uh, missiologists from other countries to take a seat at the curriculum table, um, we have to acknowledge that some good things did actually come out of American mission movements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, I I wonder if I could ask this last question to give you a chance to talk directly to the folks in the pews and the people who really, um, you know, as a pastor who oversees the missions organization of the church um, that I serve, trying to get folks to care about what's going on in the world and how they can start getting involved because they, everyday lives are happening. And so how are they going to get involved in what's happening in the world? Why should they care about what's going on on the other side of the world when they've got their own problems happening right here? And so I wonder if you could talk to the folks in the pews for a second as we close and just say, and, and help us to know why should we care and how do we start learning and getting involved in what's happening in the global church? Mm-hmm. We should care because, as I said earlier, um, we are a body. I believe that, you know, the Lord's words are determinative. I believe when he, when he prayed, make them one as we are one, that was made manifest. Um, and that's the spiritual reason. You know, I, 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 there's an article that I wrote in Desiring God, um, at, at the Desiring God website, just Google, um, talks about the rationale behind the uh, behind the body language um, as an argument for why you know from from John uh, from um, the Lord's prayer in the garden um, 
and then, you know, the vine being in, you know, a, a part of the vine. It's just the extension of all of that language that we are connected. We are made one in him. And to ignore one part is actually to ignore reality. Mm. It's, it's to walk away from the mirror and forget what the body of Christ looks like, that it's only a hand or that it's only America or that it's only um, um, politics or that it's only culture. Um, solo politica. <laughs> I love it. Or solo, solo liberatio, or solo, you know what I mean? It's like it's, there's there's the there's a much larger story going on here, and um, um, that we are connected physically so much, physically, literally in a body, so much so that we should feel if one part hurts or another part hurts, literally. And that's, and that's, that that's our primary loyalty. Um, the pragmatic reason I mentioned earlier is that we have a lot to learn. Mm. We have a lot that can be learned. And I'm not saying that the, um, the underground or the global church is doing everything right. Trust me, they are not, they're making mistakes. They don't want to be held up as, you know, this sort of perfect, um, you know, manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. They're not, they're human. Um, they fail, they falter. They stumble. Um, they have crises of faith um, in places where it's just it's just hard to be a Christian. It's hard to live, period. But it's hard to be a Christian. But we have a lot that we can learn from them. Um, the third thing is how do you get started on doing that, Marcos? I'm gonna tell you honestly, there's no other way than to pray. That is the only way that people's eyes open to the reality of what that, that God is doing a complete work, a complete and consistent work across the line of history and across and around the globe. There is something that he is doing and establishing and building and creating in different places, but it all has one common theme and it's him and prayer kingdom prayer getting involved in kingdom prayer and developing an ethos of prayer and a habit of prayer starting with two people but infusing those in your church is or in your or in your institution your seminary or and i don't mean you know just get together and do the organ recital oh this hurts oh that hurts you know um i got uh you know this this is falling apart but actually praying through the scripture and asking the Lord to open it up to you as a community, that has been the most valuable thing um, that I've seen link the church. Because when you're praying, you know, the, you know the, a lot of the, the, the New Age spiritual movements have figured this out. They're like, oh, let's all do yoga at this time across the globe. <laughs> and something spiritual will happen, you know? Prayer, concerted prayer, together with the rest of the church, opens mm. our eyes and our hearts, to, and it softens our hearts to the reality of what's going on, what God is doing in the world, um, what he's allowing, the good, the bad, because he is allowing a lot of bad stuff to happen for the, for, he's not delighted by it, he hates it, but somehow in his economy, he uses evil for his good. And I don't pretend to understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. He does not. I don't believe he causes it. I don't believe he delights in it. But he takes it and he uses it. Man, when we get to glory, we're going to be shocked at how much God has bought back. I just really believe that with all my wow. heart how much he has redeemed that we thought was impossible and how much he has reversed and how he brings life from the ugliest, most barren places because he's, he's God, he's sovereign and he's promised that he will. So anyways, pray. That's all that to say. Don't have him apart from prayer pray amen and and we will be praying um and i encourage our listeners please be praying for what's going on around the world don't don't just get so stuck in what's going on in your life or in your local church or in your little political world pray yeah. for the church 
around there's the world. so many Amen. people that ask me where do i start where do i start and i'm like come on <laughs> there are so many organizations mm-hmm. you know what they do yeah. you know what voice of the martyrs does you know what and this is you know, speaking about the persecuted church in particular but you know you know you know the names of the places you need to go to get yeah. Just to download the prayer list. It's not yeah. rocket science. Well, and if, if folks in the pews really want to know, ask your pastor. Yeah. You know? yeah. And your pastor will point you in directions. And if your pastor don't know, take in the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and say, can we, can we do something? Can we get together and pray about this? Can mm. we, and this person's coming to town. Can we go and hear them? Can we bring them into our, t- you know, I mean, yeah, you know. If your pastor don't know, because it's possible, your pastor's you know got a lot on his plate. That's true. So yeah, don't don't wait for your pastor to do it. Educate yourself and mm-hmm. start. We have a small group that at our you know it's a little small prayer group that's been going for about four years. It all started when it all started when two of us decide one of us decided to go to Uganda, and then the next year um, and South Sudan, and then next year um, two of us decided to go. And this little group just got together over that one issue, and we just. Mm-hmm. We really enjoyed the fellowship. We really enjoyed, it's like, hey, there's no other prayer group that's praying for the nations. We're it. So we just kept meeting. And now we, you know, we meet via email and, you know, we get together at somebody's house every once in a while, but it just grew up organically. There's nothing, goodness gracious, if your pastor says you can't get together and just start a little prayer group, you need, you need to check which kind of church you're in. <laughs> right. Start right. something. Start something. Go for go for uh, forgiveness rather than permission. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Karen Ellis. <laughs> so today's guest has been Karen Ellis. You can find a lot of her writings, a lot of her. Um, she's done some speaking at the Gospel Coalition and other organizations. Uh, go online, listen, learn, be blessed. I hope that today has blessed you. And please be praying for the Edmiston Center. Um, really excited about the rebranding, really excited about the story, and really excited about what is happening in Atlanta and, and the way God is using RTS and this center to bless the world and, and to bring it home to bless the American church because we need it. <laughs> we need yeah, to learn. We need it. We need Marcos, to- I need it. Amen. <laughs> amen. We all do. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you so much. And thank you. And thank you. And thank you for listening. This has been um, the final episode of season one of Family Discussion. We will be back uh, in the winter. So it's not like waiting all the way till next fall. We will be back with new episodes in the winter. But we hope you have an amazing Advent, an amazing Christmas season. And we will see you on the other side of season to God bless. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.